The Old Testament reading for today is Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 5. The sermon text is 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Let us go now to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll only be looking at verses 1 through 2 this morning. There Paul writes to his co-worker Timothy, saying, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So far the reading of God's most holy word, may he add his blessing to the preaching of it today. As I was in the early stages of preparing this sermon, I almost took verses 1 through 8 together. And it would have been possible to do that, but two things led me to cover only verses 1 and 2 today. One, the subject matter of verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 through 8 is not quite the same. There is a natural division here in the text in terms of uh, the, the theme. And two, as I reflected more and more on what is said here in verses 1 and 2, I grew convinced that we need to give this little passage our full attention. Sometimes, sometimes that does happen to me when I'm preparing sermons. I intend to cover more ground, but I get carried away with the first few verses, and so I have to cut the passage in half. And that happened here. Verses 1 and 2, though very brief, they are, they are very, very rich. And we need to give our attention to what is said. Before we come to our text for today, let me say something about where we are now in Paul's letter to Timothy. In the previous section, Timothy was exhorted to put good doctrine before the brothers and sisters. He was told to command and teach the Scriptures. And this he was to do, obviously, for the whole congregation. He was to devote himself to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But beginning with verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul instructs Timothy concerning how he is to relate to the variety of people within Christ's church. So here Paul begins to address the variety of people in Christ's church. Here in verses 1 and 2, Paul mentions older men and older women, younger men and younger women. Beginning in verse 3, Paul gives instruction concerning the care for widows. How should we care for widows in the congregation? In verse 17, Paul says something about about how Timothy is to relate to the elders of the church. And this is not a reference to the older men, but rather to those who hold the office of, of elder. How is Timothy to, to relate to them? 
And finally, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul says a word about how to care for bondservants in the congregation. That was a reality in Paul and Timothy's day, not in ours. But there is application to be drawn there from that text as well. And so you can see that we have just now entered into a section of this letter where Paul is instructing Timothy concerning how he is to relate to the different groups within the church. Before, the instruction was general. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Brother there meaning uh, the brethren, the brothers and sisters of the congregation, uh, the siblings in Christ. And so the instruction was there general. Command and teach these things in general. But here, the members of the church are being considered according to their particular situation in life. It is as if Paul said, here is how you are to minister to young and old, to widows, to the elders of the church, and to bond servants. That is what he is now addressing in his letter. And can you see how even the structure and progression of Paul's letter to Timothy reveals a great deal concerning the nature and proper ordering of the church? I wonder if you can follow along with me here. The order and progression of Paul's letter itself does say a lot about the nature and the proper ordering of Christ's church. I want for you to notice three brief things by way of introduction. One, we should expect and hope for diversity within the church. We should hope and expect for diversity within the church. Ideally, and I will admit that things are not always ideal, Christ's church will be filled with men and women, young and old, rich and poor, And if the broader community is ethnically diverse, then we should hope for ethnic diversity within the church as well. We should expect Christ's church to be diverse, for it is faith in Christ that binds the church together, and Christ is reconciling all kinds of people to the Father. It is faith in Christ that binds the church together, and we know that Christ uh, is reconciling all kinds of people to the Father. Were some other thing binding the church together, some shared interest or personal friendships, then diversity would not be expected. But since the church finds its unity in Christ, we should not be surprised to see men and women of different ages, experiences, tastes, personalities, and life situations join together in Him. Join together in Him. The world does not function in this way, brothers and sisters. Other voluntary associations do not work in this way. Some other thing binds those associations together. But within the church, it is, it is Christ. And again, Christ is calling all kinds of people to Himself. And so we should expect to see diversity. Two, though the church is diverse, being made up of all kinds of people, the church is to be unified under Christ and under the ministry of the Word of God. So notice that before Paul instructed Timothy concerning how to care for the diverse members of the congregation, he first instructed Timothy concerning how he was to care for them all. Timothy was to put sound doctrine before all the brothers and sisters. He was to command and teach these things to the whole congregation. And so though the church will be diverse, the church must be unified. Again, what is the unifying factor? It is faith in Christ. It is belief in God's Word. And so how important it is, therefore, for all the members, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, to assemble together to hear God's Word proclaimed and to commune with one another and with Christ at His table. Though the church is diverse, the church is to be unified under Christ and under the ministry of the Word of God. And I must say, 
that by the grace of God, one of the very best decisions we ever made as a congregation was to keep our children with us in the worship service to sing, to pray, and to hear God's Word proclaimed. That is what came to mind as I began to study this passage and reflect upon it. This was one of the best decisions we ever made by the grace of God to have our children in the church with us. We have the blessing of seeing a multi-generational church assembled together on the Lord's Day. I do admit that there are challenges, especially for parents of very young children there are solutions to those challenges, and the rewards have been very great. I think you would agree with me there. Being almost 10 years old now as a church, we are reaping a rich harvest as many of our children are emerging into adulthood. Do you see that happening all about us? Our children are emerging into adulthood, and I do give thanks to God for our multi-generational church. Three, though we enjoy unity in Christ, This unity does not obliterate the reality of our diversity. There are, in fact, a diversity of people and a diversity of needs within Christ's church, and ministers must be mindful of them all. I think that is Paul's point as he writes to Timothy in this entire section. He is urging Timothy to be mindful of the diversity, to be mindful of the variety of needs that exist within Christ's church. Timothy is to offer pastoral care to old men and young men, to old women and young women, to widows, to elders, to bond servants, Ministering to a great diversity of people who have a diversity of needs can be challenging, especially for a young minister, as Timothy was. But it is a wonderful challenge, and it is ultimately a great blessing. How wonderful it is for me to converse with a small child in one moment, and then to speak with someone advanced in years in the next. It is rich. It is a tremendous blessing. Thanks be to God. In the passage that is before us today, Paul considers the congregation as diverse in regard to gender and age. Timothy, as a minister of God's Word, was to provide pastoral care to men and women, young and old, in a way that was fitting. And ministers today must be prepared to do the very same thing. And so let us now consider the text. First of all, notice that the command which governs this entire passage is, Do not rebuke, but encourage. That is the command, and it governs the entire passage, verses 1 and 2. We must ask what this means. What does it mean, do not rebuke, but encourage? And we'll get to that in just a moment. But for now, understand that the command, do not rebuke, but encourage, governs all that is said in verses 1 and 2. I am afraid that when some read this passage, they think that the words, do not rebuke but encourage, apply only to Timothy's interaction with the older men in the congregation. And upon first reading, this does seem to be what Paul has in mind. Listen again to the text. Paul says to Timothy, do not rebuke an older man but encourage him. Do not rebuke an older man but encourage him. Again, it does sound as if Paul has only Timothy's relationship to older men in view when he says, do not rebuke but encourage. But we must pay careful attention to the rest of the passage. Picking up now at the end of verse 1, we read, Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. And perhaps you notice that when I read that second portion of the passage, it didn't really sound right. 
And why doesn't it sound right? The answer is because there is no verb in that second portion of the passage. Again, listen from the end of verse 1 onward and listen only to this. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. It doesn't sound quite right because uh, there is no verb there in that second half of, of, of the passage. And so we are left to wonder, well, what are ministers to do with these who are now mentioned? And the answer is, they are to not rebuke, but they are to encourage these also. The passage only makes sense when the verbs, do not rebuke but encourage, are applied not only to the minister's interaction with the older men, but also to the minister's interaction with the younger men, the older women, and the younger women also. Do not rebuke but encourage. That command governs the entire passage. The meaning is this, Timothy, do not rebuke but encourage the congregation. Encourage the older men as you would a father. Encourage the younger men as you would a brother. Encourage the older women as you would a mother. And encourage the younger women as you would a sister. Do this with all purity. Do not rebuke them, but encourage them in a way that is fitting, taking into consideration their age and also their gender. The command, do not rebuke, but encourage, governs the entire passage, as I have said. Now some of you are probably thinking... But doesn't Paul command in other places that ministers are to rebuke upon occasion? Doesn't he say rebuke in other places? And the answer is, yes, he does. And we will look at this in just a moment. And so then you will ask, then doesn't Paul contradict himself? Here he says, do not rebuke. And in other places he says, rebuke. And the answer is that no, there is no contradiction if we understand this passage correctly. The clear teaching of the New Testament is that ministers of the gospel must be prepared to deliver a rebuke upon occasion. Jesus rebuked some. The apostles were known to deliver a rebuke from time to time. Sometimes they even rebuked one another. Even if we were to stick only to Paul's letter, to his letters rather, we would see that this is the case. Consider Titus 1.9. Paul wrote to Titus another fellow minister of his. And there in Titus 1.9, Paul lists qualifications for pastors or elders, one of them being, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That is Titus 1.9. A minister of the gospel must be able to, to rebuke those who contradict sound Doctrine In Titus 1.13, Paul was referring to people who were living sinfully within the congregation when he said, This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Titus was to rebuke these sinful people in the church, and the rebuke was even to be sharp, Paul says. That is Titus 1.13. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul encouraged Timothy to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And finally, we return to 1 Timothy, and we notice that Paul's, in, Paul instructs Timothy to rebuke even later in this very chapter, even later in chapter 5. Look down to verse 20. There we read, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Rebuke them, Paul says. 
rebuke them in front of the whole congregation if they persist in their sin. And, and who is Paul referring to here in verse 20? Who is he telling Timothy to rebuke? As we will see in the weeks to come, Paul is here commanding Timothy to rebuke elders who persist in sin. Elders here being a reference to those who hold the office of elder. If an elder is found to be living in sin and is unrepentant, even he is to be rebuked in the presence of all. No exceptions are to be made on account of office or age. And so you are beginning to see that we have a difficulty in, in interpretation here, don't we? 1 Timothy 5.1 Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, etc. 1 Timothy 5.20 As for those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. By the way, what do you do when you're reading your Bibles and you run into an apparent contradiction like this in the text? What do you do? Well, I will tell you one thing you should not do is to assume that the contradiction is real. That is one impulse that you need to resist. We are, in fact, handling God's Word here. And God's Word does not contradict itself, for God cannot contradict Himself. Also, I think it is worth noting that this would be a very blatant contradiction for Paul to, in verse 1, say, don't rebuke, and then only a few verses down to say rebuke. Even if we were to consider this from a merely human perspective, it would be a major oversight for Paul uh, to, to miss this, uh, to contradict himself in only 20 verses' time. If the contradiction were real, that, that would be a very big blunder. No, we should assume that there is a reasonable explanation, and we should search for it. That is what we should do when we approach and find apparent contradictions in the text. In this case, the answer is found by looking at the original language. In all of the passages that I have read to you, the English word rebuke is the translation of the Greek word eklekko. I, I butchered that. Eklekko. The font did not come out right in my uh, manuscript here. Eklekko. That word is found 17 times in the New Testament, and it means simply this, to bring to light, to expose, to set forth. To bring to light, to expose, to set forth. And it's translated in a variety of ways in the ESV. Reprove, rebuke, expose, tell, convict. It's a very common word found throughout the pages of the New Testament. But the Greek word translated as rebuke in verse 1 is different. It is different, and I will not try to read it here, given the font problem. Uh, this is the only occurrence of this word in the New Testament. It too means rebuke, but the word is stronger. It might also be translated as to strike or to snap at. And I think that is the meaning here. It, it has to be, or else we do have a contradiction in this chapter. It comes across in our English versions as if we have a contradiction. The word rebuke is used to translate both of these Greek words. But the one that is found in verse 1 is in fact unique. It's more precise. It's a stronger word. It is here Paul warning Timothy about not being an authoritarian kind of pastor, an aggressive or a harsh one, someone who strikes at the congregation verbally, someone who snaps at the congregation in an impatient manner. I think that is what Paul is getting at here 
When he says, do not rebuke but encourage, he means that Timothy and all who are ministers must not be harsh. They must not be short-tempered. They must not be snippy. Instead, they must resolve to encourage the brothers and sisters, young and old. And in fact, the word encourage in verse 1 does help us to understand what rebuke means, for the, for the two ways are set in contrast to one another in this passage. Do not do this, Paul says, but instead do this. Do not rebuke, but rather encourage. And the word translated as encourage means to ask for something earnestly, to request, to plead for, to appeal. And this is to be Timothy's disposition with the congregation as he is walking alongside the members and as they are struggling with sin and doubt. He is to come alongside them and he is to patiently plead with them. He is to earnestly appeal to them to pursue Christ and to turn away from their sins or to believe sound doctrine. Whatever the issue may be, he is to be patient in his approach. So when we put it all together, the meaning becomes very clear. Timothy was not to be harsh with the members. He was not to be short-tempered. He was not to strike them verbally. Instead, he was to come alongside the brothers and sisters, again, young and old, and he was to patiently call them to faith and repentance through encouragement. As you can see, in no way does this contradict those other passages that speak of rebuke, even sharp rebuke and public rebuke. If rebuke must be delivered, it is to be delivered purposefully. It is to be delivered with care and precision. It's ordinarily to be delivered only after the way of patient encouragement has thoroughly failed. Brothers and sisters, I do think our current elders have excelled in this. That is my opinion. I think they have excelled in this. But it's also good for us to be reminded that there is a ditch on both sides of the road of pastoral care. I'm speaking to my co-elders in this moment. There is a ditch on both sides of the road of pastoral care. On the one side, there is the ditch of negligence in pastors who ignore sin within the congregation due to fear, laziness, or some other thing do slide into that ditch. And on the other side of the road, there is the ditch of harshness. And pastors who allow their hearts to grow hard and impatient towards the congregation do slide into that ditch. And brothers, it is so very important for us to hear the command, do not rebuke but encourage, and to be sure that we stay on the straight and narrow as we attempt to care for Christ's church. And it is also important for all who desire to hold the office of elder or to minister the word of God to the congregation to hear this command. To hold the office of elder or overseer, a man must meet the moral qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And he must also possess the gifts required for ministry. And one of the things he must demonstrate is the ability to shepherd. And so, brothers and sisters, please recognize this, that a negligent shepherd and a harsh shepherd will both do damage to the flock of God. So let us be sure to appoint men to the office of overseer who have demonstrated that they are able to care for the flock of God patiently, to exhort them over a long period of time, to appeal to them, and to not be harsh with them. And this command, do not rebuke but encourage, is also applicable to husbands and wives, to parents and children, indeed to all of the members of Christ's church, isn't it? You see where I am going with this. Yes, Paul is writing to his fellow minister, Timothy. Yes, this has a particular 
kind of application for elders within Christ's church, but it does also apply to husbands and wives, parents and children, to all the members of Christ's church. This rule should govern all of our interpersonal relationships. Do not rebuke, brothers and sisters, but encourage. Do not rebuke, but encourage. Husbands, I may ask you this question, is it your habit to rebuke your wife, or is it your habit to encourage her? To encourage her in the Lord, to encourage her as your wife and in the home? Or have you grown impatient and harsh and snippy? This is not the way of Christ. We are to come alongside our wives. We are to encourage them in the Lord. We are to exhort them, maybe even strongly from time to time, but with love and with patience, with tenderness. Wives, I may ask you the same question. Is it your habit to rebuke your husband, or is it your habit to encourage him? We must guard against this temptation to be snippy. We must guard against this temptation to be impatient and careless with our words. Even when we must confront one another, we must be sure that we do it in an encouraging manner. And what about parents? Do you rebuke or encourage your children? And I'm asking you, please do not forget the meaning of these words. I I am asking you, do you snip and strike verbally out of impatience? Or do you come alongside them to plead with them and to earnestly appeal to them to do what is right in God's sight? This we are to do even as parents within our households. Fathers and mothers. Again, there is a ditch on both sides of the road, isn't there, in parenting? On the one side there is the ditch of negligence. On the other side there is the ditch of harshness. And parents do both mistakes. We must not fail to instruct and discipline our children. That would be to their detriment. At the same time, we must be sure to avoid the dish of harshness and impatience too. And then lastly, I might say that these same principles need to be applied by children as they relate to their siblings within the home. Do not rebuke, but encourage. And these same principles need to be applied by all the members of Christ's church, even as we relate to one another. Brothers and sisters, let us not rebuke, but encourage one another in Christ Jesus. This is a very meaningful a little, little passage here, isn't it, that needs to be applied carefully to the whole of life. Well, let us now return to the text and, and to the main point. Paul was instructing Timothy as a minister within Christ's church to not be impatient and snippy, but to patiently and even earnestly appeal to the members of the congregation to walk in a manner that is worthy. That was the general command, but in the rest of the passage, Paul does inform the minister that he will need to do this, being mindful of the diversity in the congregation. He is to minister to each group in a way that is fitting or, or appropriate. Older men in the congregation are to be encouraged as fathers, as fathers. We are beginning to study the Ten Commandments with the help of our catechism in the evening service. And you know that the Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The first four commands have to do with our relationship to God, and the last six have to do with our relationship to our fellow human beings. And what is the first of the second table of the law? What is the first commandment of the second table of the law? It is this. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. It is the leading commandment in that second table of the law, which does have to do with our relationships with one another as human beings. Where... Do we first learn to love our neighbor as ourself, except in the home? 
That is where we first learn to love our neighbor as ourselves in the home. The very first thing we must learn to do is to show honor to our parents. That is the very first thing that we must learn. And when we learn to honor our parents, we also learn to honor others who have authority over us. And as we learn this lesson, we also come to see that a particular kind of honor is to be shown even to our peers and to those who may in some way be inferior to us. It is in the home that we learn to show honor to other human beings in general. And it is in the home that we learn learn to preserve the honor and to perform the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. That is a quote from Baptist Catechism number 69, which does tell us what the, the fifth commandment requires. Honor your father and mother, the commandment says. But that commandment is to be applied to, to every relationship. The principle of honor is to permeate all of our interactions with other human beings, no matter who they are. We are to show honor to whom honor is due. We are to show honor to our peers. We are even to show honor to our inferiors, those who we have authority over. This is what the commandment is teaching us. This order of honor ought to be maintained within the culture. I hope you would agree with this. There is a special kind of honor that those who are young ought to give to those who are old. This is a part of God's moral law. And I do believe that in general men know this. They know this naturally. Most will be repulsed by the thought of a young person taking advantage of or assaulting someone who is old. Doesn't that thought bother you in a unique way? The thought of someone who is young taking advantage of or assaulting someone who is old? But we do seem to be losing this sense of respect for the elderly in our culture. And it is a lamentable thing that we are seeing. Again, I will say that the church must be countercultural. The church must be countercultural. In the church, the young should honor the old. The church should be eager to show a special kind of love, care, and respect to those who are advanced in years. And those who are old should not despise their age. Instead, I am saying they should own it. Own your age. You might notice that I'm using the words old and elderly unapologetically in the sermon. Do you hear that? It is interesting how those terms have almost become offensive in our culture. You're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to go to someone who is advanced in years and say, How old are you? That's offensive for some reason. You're not allowed to refer to them in such a, a, a blatant way as old people or as elderly people. If you think of it, this is really strange. This is a really strange part of our culture. But it does make sense, given the way that our culture foolishly values youth over age. But it cannot be this way in the church. That is the point that I am making. In the church, the young should be eager to show a special kind of honor to the old And the old should not despise their age, but they should fulfill God's calling upon their lives in their later years. They should own it. They should wear it uh, proudly, not with a sinful kind of pride. But they should see that they have a particular obligation to fulfill in their latter years. Titus 2, 2 2-5 Older men 
are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This is what is to happen within the church. The older men and women have a very important and special role to play within the congregation. They should be honored and they should fulfill God's calling upon their lives. Honor is to be shown to those who are advanced in years. And that is also true for the minister. Ministers who are young must be careful to not rebuke an older man, but to encourage him as they would a father. And this is one of the challenges that young ministers face. They must shepherd Not only those who are younger than them, but also those who are older than them. And it will not do to have a large portion of the congregation without a pastor, will it? That would not be right for a minister in his 30s to minister to his peers and those younger, but to leave everyone older than him without pastoral care would not be appropriate. No care has to be given even to them. But it needs to be delivered with a special kind of tactfulness and care. The guidance is this. Encourage him, Timothy, and all young ministers, as you would a father. Encourage those who are older, as you would a father. And Paul assumes that Timothy understands how a father should be treated. That is his assumption. Paul assumes that Timothy understands how a father should be treated. If an adult child, or even a younger child, feels that their father needs to be exhorted in some way, they are to do it with tactfulness. They are to do it with care. This does not rule out the possibility of a pastoral rebuke, but it does show how young ministers are to shepherd older men in the congregation, generally speaking. I will say one thing I am grateful for as a relatively young minister. A little while ago I was a young minister, now I am a relatively young minister One of the things I am grateful for is a diversity of ages amongst our elders and deacons. I do believe that the pastoral care provided by the eldership and the diaconal care provided by the deacons of this church has been greatly strengthened over the years by the presence of older officers. Thanks be to God. As we continue on, notice that Paul commands that young men be encouraged as brothers. Young men are to be encouraged as as brothers. Timothy, as he engaged with the younger men in the congregation, he was to view them as as brothers. And And I think this is significant. This is interesting. Paul does not say address them as sons, but as brothers. We know that Paul referred to Timothy as his child in the faith. And by that he meant that he was the one who perhaps led Timothy to the Lord, or certainly he nurtured Timothy in the Lord. But here he is encouraging Timothy, to see the young men as brothers. And I will build upon what I said just a moment ago. The fifth commandment, when properly understood, not only establishes that children are to show honor to their parents, but that honor is to be shown to all people in a way that fits your relation to them. And I hope you would agree that it is right for a brother to show honor to his brother, and for a sister to show honor to her sister. If you think that it is okay to treat your brother or sister with disrespect, given that they are your equal, then you have believed a lie. You have not understood the command of God. It is true, a 
A child is to show a special kind of honor to their parents, but it is also true that a child owes a kind of honor to their siblings. You are flesh and blood, after all. And sadly, we do sometimes treat the members of our own household worse than we treat strangers. But friends, what I am saying to you is it should not be this way. And yes, I am speaking to the young people in the congregation right now who have siblings in the home. I am saying, you need to think in this way. You're to honor them as your siblings. You're to honor them as your peers. You are flesh and blood. And the fifth commandment not only demands that you show honor to your parents, but it also demands that you show honor even to your siblings, a special kind of honor to them. This is true when we are young. It is also true when we are old. And and Paul, again, assumes that Timothy knew this, and so he urged Timothy to encourage the younger men in the congregation in the way that he would encourage a brother. There's a lot that could be said about this, but let me make this one point before moving on. I think it is important that we do not talk down to the young people in this church. Instead, we should show a special kind of love and concern for them. We should show a special kind of appreciation for our young people. Perhaps you have noticed that in the next five years, we are going to see a lot of young people emerging into adulthood. Have you thought of that? Brothers and sisters, in this congregation, it's a tremendous blessing. And and what I am saying to you here is that those who are older should encourage the young people in this church, not as children, but as what? Brothers and sisters. As brothers and sisters. We need to be mindful of this, that we do not fail to engage with them, that we do not speak down to them because they are minors in this church, but rather we must engage them as brothers and sisters. We must speak with them about Christ and exhort them also to follow Christ. In their life, we must show an interest in them. Of course, the parents do have a primary obligation to do this, but I think as we fellowship with one another, we need to think in these terms. Indeed, that is what Paul was urging Timothy to do. Do not rebuke but encourage. And that applies also to the younger men. You are to approach them, Timothy, as as brothers in Christ. I do think we have some exciting years ahead of us, by the way, because of this fact that we'll see a lot of our young people emerging into adulthood in the not-too-distant future. Let us be sure to encourage them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul then says that Timothy is to encourage older women as mothers. I don't know that I have too much to add here beyond what I have already said concerning the honor that is to be shown to older men. The same is true in regard to older women. But I will add this one thing. For as much as we have said regarding the responsibility that men have to lead within the church and home, I do hope it is understood that we have a tremendous love and respect for the women of this congregation. Is that understood? It hardly needs to be said. But we have a tremendous love and respect for the women of this congregation. And at the risk of sounding as if I am sucking up to the women, I will say, and I mean this sincerely, brothers and sisters, I will say that there is something particularly impressive about females. I believe this. There is something particularly impressive about females. There is in them, I have noticed, a wonderful mixture of strength and tenderness. Of strength and tenderness. 
And I think the men of the congregation, young and old, would be wise to acknowledge this fact and to encourage its development and to give thanks to God for it. The women of this congregation must be appreciated. We must give thanks to God for the way that He has designed men and women. Both image bearers, yes, but different. But the differences themselves are are beautiful. Both have a significant role to play within the family. Both have a significant role to play within Christ's church and within society. We should not ignore these differences or act as if they are not there, but celebrate them and encourage their development. Whenever the topic of gender comes up in the Scriptures, I do wonder what the world would think if they were listening to the preaching of those passages. Do you ever think about that? I know that you do. In those passages that deal with the gender roles in the church or the gender roles in the family. And I'm preaching what the Bible says. You're probably thinking to yourself, man, this is not okay in our culture. It is not approved of in our, in our culture. So I do sometimes think, what would the world think if they listened into this? I'm sure they would assume that the men of this church are chauvinistic and the women are beat down and kept low, right? That's the way the world thinks. But then I say to myself, if only they would come and see. If only they would come and see the beauty of it. If only they would come and see how the men of this church honor their wives and how strong the women of this congregation are. I wish they could see it. And I do not claim that we are perfect in this. We are not. But in general, I do see in this congregation a deep love and appreciation for the so-called fairer sex. And yes, I understand even that phrase is, is out of style um, today. But frankly, I do not care. We are going to do it God's way, aren't we? In the church and in the home. And the world, sadly, will do it its way. And we will see which way is better in this life and in the life to come. I trust that God's way is better. Brothers and sisters, those who are advanced in years are to be honored. And I do believe that the older women are to be honored in in a special way. They are to be particularly cared for. And this is going to come out in the next section, in fact, as Paul deals with widows in the congregation and the special concern that is to be shown for them. Lastly, and very briefly, Timothy was called to encourage the younger women as sisters in all purity. Again, I don't have much to add beyond what I've said in that section concerning younger men. The same applies here. But but I will say a brief word about the phrase, in all purity. What does that mean? Timothy, being a younger minister, was to be especially careful in his interaction with the younger women of the congregation. He was to care for them as sisters, but he was to be sure to guard his heart and to keep his way pure. That is what the word or the phrase in all purity means. And I don't need to tell you about the dangers, and I don't need to tell you about how many have made a shipwreck of their faith by stumbling in this regard. Ministers must be very careful when ministering to the young women of the congregation. Boundaries must be set and kept. For example, never should a minister be alone with a woman of the congregation, and this is especially true of the younger women. But this phrase, in all purity, it does apply to all of us, and not just to ministers. I hope you agree with this, brothers and sisters. All are to walk in purity. It does not matter if you are young or old, if you are married or single, if you are a pastor or a member, all are to walk in purity in thought, word, and deed. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. And so we are to obey God's law, brothers. We are to follow the path of wisdom, sisters. So we will be delivered from the forbidden woman, the proverb says, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Certainly a sober warning for us. We must pursue purity in all of life. I do love to think about the diversity in Christ's church. Truly the church is like a family. You don't choose your family, do you? You don't. You choose friends, but you don't choose your family. You're born into it. And neither have you chosen your spiritual family. You have been born into it. And there is great diversity within God's house by design. And so let us be sure to love one another in Christ despite our differences, giving honor to whom honor is due. And as we walk together in this world, let us not snip at one another, but rather let us encourage one another faithfully and patiently. Ministers are to remember that they are servants in Christ's church. They are to care for Christ's bride, for Christ's flock. Negligence will not be tolerated by the chief shepherd, and neither will a harsh or domineering disposition. Christ will judge the man who treats his bride in this harsh way, his bride whom he has washed with his own blood. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, do help us in our interpersonal relationships, especially within the church, that we would not be harsh with one another, but that we would be patient, that we would encourage one another in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to love one another enough to address problems and to address sin but help us to always do it in a Christ-like manner. We thank you for Christ, our chief shepherd, and for the way that he does shepherd us. We thank you that he is purifying us, finishing the work that he has begun in us. We thank you that he is driving sin out of us, refining us with the refiner's fire. But we thank you also for the tenderness of Christ. Christ, you are patient. You are merciful and kind. And we are grateful for this. We thank you for your love that has been lavished upon us. Father, help us to be like Christ to one another. Help us as ministers. Help us also as members. Help us even in the Christian home to not rebuke, but to encourage. We say these things in Christ's name and all of God's people say, Amen.